0: This is The Great Composers from member supported Colorado Public Radio and CPR Classical.
1: If you want to play this piece by Rachmaninoff, it helps to have those really big Rachmaninoff monster sized hands.
0: That's Scott O'Neill at the Steinway in the CPR Performance Studio playing Rachmaninoff.
1: I mean, he was a huge guy, right? I mean, we're talking like six foot six, and this is his C sharp minor prelude. And when we get here, this is where it really gets hard. I mean, for Rachmaninoff with those big hands, it's easy. Each one of these chords, you got four notes in each hand. He just puts his hand in one shape, moves it back and forth, he's good. Guys like me, we actually have to change fingerings because it's the only way I can reach that one, I got a good change, and this one, I... It's funny, he actually wrote an article trying to help people with smaller hands, saying, do this, don't do that. At one place, he actually admonishes, whatever you do, resist the urge to roll chords. It makes it easier, right? Right. <laughs>
0: And this, Scott, would become a little signature trick for Rachmaninoff, writing pieces that are really hard to play.
1: And that's just it. They weren't that hard for him. And this isn't even one of the really hard ones. Some of his later pieces will present far greater challenges. But this little four-minute prelude sums up so much of Rachmaninoff's career and music. People loved it. It's dark, brooding, romantic. It's quintessential Rachmaninoff.
0: That's conductor and lecturer Scott O'Neill at the Steinway in the CPR Performance Studio. I'm host Carla Walker, and you are listening to the first installment of the Great Composer series on Rachmaninoff from CPR Classical and Colorado Public Radio. Scott, Sergei Rachmaninoff is known as being the last great romantic.
1: Yeah, he wrote bold, rich, romantic music when romantic music was really at its peak. He was a star virtuoso at the piano and he dazzled audiences with pieces he wrote to highlight his own unique strengths.
0: survey both of those pieces and so many more in our eight-part Great composer series on Rachmaninoff. Scott, Rachmaninoff was writing some of these lush, memorable pieces decades after most other composers had moved on to more modern types of music.
1: Yeah, by the time he wrote this... This style of music had fallen out of fashion within academic circles, which also included a group of critics who seemed to make a sport out of shredding his compositions.
0: In fact, God, there is a story about composer Walter Piston, who was talking with a pianist at one point about Rachmaninoff, and Walter Piston said, why would you play such trash? Oh, gosh. Seriously, he called Rachmaninoff's music, trash.
1: Yeah, I think the subtext there was, you should be playing my music. Mm. I'm convinced that so much of the harshest criticism aimed at Rachmaninoff grew from resentment of his success and popularity.
0: And Rachmaninoff's popularity is undeniable. So we're going to dive deep into the story and the music of Rachmaninoff on our Great Composers series. Our aim is to introduce you to composers, not just to their music, but also to their lives through their eyes as much as we can. Composers were real people who had real joys and struggles, highs and lows, just like all of us do, and we want to explore what makes them great. In this case, Sergei Rachmaninoff, you have critics and academics on one side shouting that his music is old-fashioned and not relevant, and audiences on the other side saying, play more Rachmaninoff. So this is an interesting dynamic, this dichotomy of being adored versus being reviled, and that's what we're going to explore.
1: Yeah, Rachmaninoff is really a case study in opposites. I mean, here's a guy who had immense, seemingly superhuman talent, but he was wracked with self-doubt. Composing music that hearkened to a time past in a rapidly changing world that seemed to be striving to be as modern as possible. The six foot six guy with a military buzz cut who hardly ever smiled and yet he would write these rapturous romantic melodies. Even Igor Stravinsky, another Russian composer, once described him as a six and a half foot scowl.
0: And speaking of rapturous melodies, melodies like this from his second symphony. We'll dive deeper into Rachmaninoff's story and how these opposing forces shaped his life and his career as we continue on with this series but let's get back to the piece that started it all for Rachmaninoff
1: the C sharp minor prelude Maybe the most amazing thing about this piece to me is that he wrote it when he was only 19 years old. Right. Name another composer that wrote this big a hit when he was still a teenager.
0: Okay, well, Mozart, we just got done doing a five-part Great Composer series on Mozart, talking about what an amazing prodigy he was.
1: Yeah, Rachmaninoff was not traveling around the world playing for kings and queens when he was 12, right? Mm -hmm. But... If you look at the pieces that Mozart wrote when he was a teenager, none of them compare in popularity to this piece that Rachmaninoff wrote. a reaction, doesn't it?
0: And you're hearing this piece exactly how Rachmaninoff's audience heard it because this recording is Rachmaninoff playing.
1: It's only about four minutes long, but it became so popular during Rachmaninoff's life that he literally started to resent how often he had to play it. When he was in the U.S., he complained, that so all they wanted to hear was that damned C-sharp minor prelude.
0: Plagued by his own success, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the same thing happened to Beethoven with his Moonlight Sonata. Yeah. He, he had to play his so much that he once said, surely I've written better things than this.
0: <laughs> right, right. But this is a memorable piece. Yeah,
1: but this melody if we can call it that is really unique because it's actually a two-part melody here let me show you at the piano it actually consists of a low voice these are the bells and then another voice that's higher represents the choir that answers It's almost like a duet between the bells and the choir. Mm. Eventually, it gets transposed higher. But it always keeps that same basic shape.
0: It's really an incredibly simple idea, but I think its simplicity is part of its genius.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, so many of the most profound ideas, if you think about it, E equals MC squared or love thy neighbor as thyself, they're really simple ideas. It's their ramifications, the way they get realized, which becomes so profound and complex. Even the middle section of this piece is very simple. It's it, When we get here, it sounds like this. which sounds a lot more active, but if you listen to it, it's really one main note with smaller notes that peel off, and then that same note again. There it is. Then a short melody. Then it repeats. The power and genius of this simplicity cannot be overstated.
0: This prelude is the second in a set of pieces Scott called Marsoda Fantasy or Fantasy Pieces, but it's also known as the Bells of Moscow. And this idea of bells was an important one for Rachmaninoff.
1: So important. His grandmother had stepped in when he was just a boy to raise the young Rachmaninoff when his father ran out on the family, and she insisted that he regularly attend the Russian Orthodox Church and these solemn tolling bells that he heard there and the orthodox chants would form a basis for his artistic aesthetic throughout the rest of his life.
0: Okay, so that's a little foreshadowing to what's going to come on the Great Composer series. But to bring it back, it's 1892 when Rachmaninoff wrote this prelude. He's 19 and he idolizes Tchaikovsky.
1: Absolutely. I mean, think of the most dramatic Tchaikovsky piano concerto,
0: the first piano concerto.
1: This is the kind of drama and raw emotion that Rachmaninoff loved in Tchaikovsky.
0: But this admiration for Tchaikovsky, Scott, spells trouble for Rachmaninoff. Yeah,
1: I'm afraid it put a bullseye on his back with a group of influential Russian composers who used to accuse Tchaikovsky and now accused Rachmaninoff of not being Russian enough.
0: This piece called Kamaranskaya is the piece that's held up as the fountain of Russian classical music because it uses as its basis Russian folk music. That's what some wanted to see from Rachmaninoff, for him to use Russian folk music as inspiration. But Scott, whether Rachmaninoff's music was Russian enough was just the beginning of his struggles, right?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, he was so plagued by self-doubt. He literally stopped composing altogether twice in his lifetime.
0: But he came back.
1: Always came back.
0: Rachmaninoff's story is a fascinating one of personal struggle and self-doubt made worse by the constant criticism that he received from other musicians. That countered with the absolute adoration of his audience. Next time on The Great Composers, Rachmaninoff faces his first big emotional setback when his musical mentor passes away suddenly. It's The Great Composers series on Rachmaninoff from CPR Classical and Colorado Public Radio. I'm Carla Walker. And I'm Scott O'Neill. Thanks for listening. Thank you to CPR's contributing members for making this podcast possible. Learn about membership at CPR.org.